right, guys. I hope you had a good greeting time with your uh, family and those that are gathered with you. Um, and uh, so we're going to just go into part three this morning of our Roaring Twenties message series. And today I want to talk about the result of our roar. It's so good to be with you um, this morning. I've been looking forward to this. If you have a copy of your scriptures, um, scroll or turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read it to you. And um, I'm going to read uh, this whole section here, and then we'll jump in, we'll pray and jump in directly after that. All right? I'm going to start with verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a matter worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I thank you for our Destiny family. God, I just ask you to bless them wherever they are. And God, I just ask that you would open up our spiritual ears and eyes uh, so that we can see and hear you this morning. Um, we love your word, and we, we want to be different as a result of hearing your word this morning. And I just want to invite all of you, if you're willing, to take a minute and pray and just ask him, Lord, please teach me today. Would you do that? Thank you, God. And then, if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and that this would be helpful to you. God, we thank you for this time. I, God, I thank you for every ear that is listening, every eye that is watching right now. Bless them in your holy name. Amen and amen. All right, I, I just want to say you may be seated because it's habit. <laughs> so novelty dissipates quickly in the presence of majesty. And when you see a lion roar, it changes things. 
It changes the day. Now, I mentioned that because we're in this series called The Roaring Twenties, and we've been talking about that's the kind of life that we want to live, a life that has impact, that my presence in the moment changes things, that my arrival on the planet makes a difference, that I shift the temperature in a space, even if that space is virtual at the moment. The, the, the world is lit up because I exist. That's the kind of life that we want to leave. We are meant to live with purpose. Meaningless is devastating to the human soul. And here's the thing. Some of you might be feeling a bit of that in this season of social distancing. So I want to speak directly to that today because the devil is a liar. So no one wants novelty or the mundane. We want majesty. I don't want to live a meaningless life. I want it to have substance. I want to have a life that means something. And I think every human being wants that. And what's crazy is Paul, in the text that we just read, uh, Paul's got it. He's so confident. In verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. He says, When I rolled up in the city, I was carrying something. And it was for purpose that my arrival has affected change, that my existence made a difference. And I just want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that in my life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say when I show up, when I roll up in a city, that that place is different because I lived there. And Paul's like, you guys know when we rolled in, it wasn't without intent. We were carrying power. We were carrying Holy Spirit power with us, and we walk with purpose, and we make a difference in that place because he goes with us. And I want that to be true of us. I want it to be true of me. I want it to be true of you. And the question is, how do we get there? Frederick Douglass, you've heard me talk about him before. Um, towards the end of his life, he was able to, to take a trip overseas. His priority was, I want to walk where the Apostle Paul walked. And when he showed up there, he said, you know what? I don't really care so much about all the preaching of the priests of the day. I want to hear the message of the Apostle Paul. And then Frederick Douglass, he wrote this on his trip. He says, what interested me the most was the fact that as I looked upon the country scene 1,800 years ago, traveled by the prisoner apostle on his way to Rome to answer for this religion, it somehow gave me a more vivid impression of the heroism of that man as I looked upon the grand ruins of the religion against which Paul dared to preach. Now, Frederick Douglass, who stared down slavery in America that went from a slave to liberated in our country, says, I want to walk where Paul walked because I watched Paul stand up before mountain a falsehood and stare it down. And I want to walk in the feet of a hero like that. And I want it to, and I want you to as well. And that's why we're talking about this this morning. How do we live a life that makes a difference in the middle of a world pandemic? And so we're looking at this section of scripture. It's kind of an interesting moment. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians, and they know him. I don't know if he caught that. It says uh, several times, you know, you know, you know. Around 17 times he says that. He's like, you guys know this because you know me. But he's reminding them that what he and his people were like in their presence, and some of it is just him trying to distance from false uh, teachers. Some of it is him trying to answer the critics, but a major part of it for us is that it gives us the profile of a purposeful life. It's going to show us what true people who change culture look like. And you see in verse 2, this is what he says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He tells them, you remember what happened to us in the city before we got to you? He says, we suffered. 
And we were treated shamefully uh, in Philippi. He doesn't go into the details here, but we've read about it in the book of Acts before. He showed up in Philippi. Uh, there was a girl that was enslaved there and possessed by demons. Paul set her free. Her masters did not like that. And so they grabbed a hold of Paul and they took him into the marketplace. The government got involved. And when the magistrate showed up, they didn't even put on a trial. He was stripped and beaten with rods in front of everybody. And then they threw him in prison. Bad day for Paul, right? Paul, Paul gets ripped apart for the gospel. And he says, you know what happened in Philippi. Somebody put it on YouTube. Me there, stripped. You guys saw it. Nothing. Uh, I was getting hit with a stick. So what do you think? What happened to Paul when he showed up in the next city? You, you would think that he would have soft-pedaled it just a little bit. But no, he says, you know what happened. But we had a boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God, even in the midst of so much conflict. See, boldness is a requirement for significance. Uh, if I want to live a significant life, I have to have boldness, and we all want to walk in that. So what we all need is boldness, and what that means is you don't change culture by swimming along in its stream. I, I have to go against the culture that I'm in, and that means I will face some resistance. And for many of us, that's a scary thing. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to make things awkward in my space, but I do want to live a life of change where boldness is required for significance. So if I want to change things, then I'm going to need to, to, to change things, right? And so I've got to figure out where does boldness come from to live this kind of purposeful life that we've been talking about. So last week, we said that our boldness is rooted in a belief that our roar has a root and that boldness is the birthright of the believer. It is. And Paul says that our boldness is sourced in who God is. It's that strong tower that we run into, right? When I'm surrounded by him, I have strength to face anything. I have faith in the midst of a pandemic. I, my boldness is rooted in my belief of who God is, and he is my strong tower. So it's interesting that the word for boldness in the Old Testament that's used most often, it harkens back to something that you put confidence in. And you can put it in the wrong thing. You can put it in money. You can put it in the business profits, in your horses and chariots, as it says in the scripture that we read last week. But in the Psalms, where it's most uh, used most often, it's boldness that's rooted in confidence of who God is and what he has done. I am bold because of what he did for me. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, is what the proverb says. Guilt and shame robs us of confidence, and many of us aren't bold in the world because the truth is when we look in the mirror, we don't like what we see. But he said, it's the righteous who are as bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. When I know I'm right with God, I'm fearless in this world. And we know that comes from what God has done for us. That's what you see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Hebrews 10 says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Uh, Jesus fought for me and forgave me, and that gives me confidence. I can come confidently before God because, yes, I know I'm a mess, but Jesus paid it all. So all to him I owe. I have boldness because it's rooted in the belief of what he has already done. In Ephesians, Paul says that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I run into his presence. And when I come home, 
I don't know about you. I have kids who maybe when they were younger, sometimes it still happens. They, they come running up and jumping into my arms. You have that feeling. You have that sense. Sugar, my dog, still does that. So I still have one. Sugar runs into my arms. <laughs> Why? Why do they do that? Because they know that I'm strong enough to hold them and loving enough to want to. I'm strong enough to hold them and loving enough to want to. And the Christian is bold in the presence of God. Why? Because God is strong enough to forgive even me, and he's loving enough to want to. He loves us. So my boldness is rooted in that belief. I know I'm okay. I'm not trying to earn his approval. I've already got it. I'm not trying to earn acceptance. I have it. I'm not trying to earn significance. I've been named child of God by him. I have a boldness, and it's rooted in who he is. In the New Testament, the word used most often for boldness doesn't point backward to what we have confidence in. Isn't that interesting? The word most often used in the New Testament is boldness to declare something. It's boldness to declare that our boldness has a root, but our boldness also has a result. And that's what we're talking about today. He says, I want to change you, and then I want you to change things. Amos said it this way. He said, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? It's just kind of an obvious statement. Lion roar, people fear. And then he says this, the Lord God has spoken, but who can but prophesy. He says, when a lion roars, you can't help but fear. And when God talks to you, you can't help but start talking about who he is. That his boldness has a root in belief, but it also has a result. The roar is rooted in what he's done and who he is, and that roar has a result, and that is the world knows who he is. So, And so all through the New Testament, boldness is put into an activity. You see it. It's a birthright of the believer. In Acts chapter 4, it says, They saw the boldness of Peter and John. As soon as the Holy Spirit landed on them, boldness was the result. And it says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see in Acts chapter 4, after the believers got in trouble for preaching Jesus, they knew everybody's mad at us. And so they prayed the prayer, give us boldness. And so they went out and preached, um, and they, they had boldness in Damascus, boldness in Antioch. You see that as a hallmark of the story of the believers, there was boldness to speak about God in some very adverse situations situations. So if he's changed me, I'm going to tell people about him. And you see the root, you see the roar has a root in belief, but it always has a result. When God roars, he does it through me. And so we're not just receivers of his grace, we're conduit of it. Um, we're the filament in the light bulb, you remember, if you remember that conversation. And so Paul says, I had a boldness in my God to declare the gospel of my God. So when I know God, I can't help but talk about him. That's the message. I'm, I'm here to give the roar of letting the world know God that they need him. He's the fountain of joy. He is the purpose and meaning in their life. And so if you know God, you are meant to make him known. And I know as I say that, some of you are like, not me, Sean, because like I'm an Enneagram 14 and uh, we don't say things out loud <laughs> and so on. <laughs> but you say, you know, I can't do it. I, I outsource talking to God, you know, or, or to people about God. To Pastor Derek, Derek does that for me. Um, this little light of mine, I'm going to tuck it back here behind, you know. You're, you're like, I, I don't want people to look at me. 
I'll be nervous and I'll say weird things. And I get that. I totally do. I, I wrestle with levels of social anxiety, but people doubt that when you're, people doubt that about me when your job is to, to get on a stage, but, but this is a monologue. You know, you're not saying anything back to me. I'm not watching the live uh, chat right now. Derek's doing that for me. So understand, you know, I understand having that difficulty. And yet the New Testament, this is what it declares, when God has impacted me, I'm going to tell them. And I'm going to live a life of significance. And if I'm going to do that, I need to live a life of boldness. And it's not in my own strength. It's the Holy Spirit in me who empowers me. And the purpose of boldness in God puts us in so that we can declare it to a world that needs to know him because they need him. The question is, how do we do it? Because all of us have a fear at times, and, and we're living in a time where the, the world is afraid right now. It seems like everybody's scared, and there's a worldwide pandemic that's happening. And Paul's like, well, yeah, remember that one time I got beat with canes? That didn't stop me. <laughs> and you're like, all right, then let's talk through this. How do I get boldness that can overcome fear? And Paul gives us a couple of things. That's what I want to walk through this in verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity uh, or any attempt to deceive. So that four there at the beginning of the verse, it indicates reasons. So I'll give you the reason why I was bold. Reason number one is, he said, because pure motive is motivational. That, that this wasn't an error. I wasn't trying to mislead you. There wasn't an impurity or some perverted reason that I'm preaching the gospel. I'm not trying to get rich. Then why is he doing it? He says, because just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart confidence comes from being convinced of who God is, convinced of the truth. The reason I'm talking about this is because I believe that it's true. And the reason I told you about it is because God got a hold of me. So Paul says, I'm confident to give you this message because God appointed me and he trusted me and he knows me and I know him. And I'm telling you this because it changed me. And I, want, I went from sinner to saved. He actually went from murderer to missionary, right? And you will get confidence to tell people about Jesus when you're convicted about this truth because we champion what changes us, right? We do it all the time. If you're watching what you're eating and your exercise routine and it's making a difference, you are gonna talk about it. Man, I ate nothing but lentils and brown rice and I've never had more energy. I don't even need coffee, right? And the person listening to you is like, okay, wow, I didn't ask about that, but you know, that's fantastic. You know, we champion what changes us. We do. And Paul says, when that happens, you're going to have confidence to talk about it. It's the most natural thing, right? In verse four of the previous chapter, he says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. How do they know that they're chosen? Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, you guys uh, know you were chosen. How? Because when the gospel of Jesus came to you, it changed you. 
And when you're convinced of this truth, you're going to talk about it. It's the most natural thing. I remember a pastor, um, I've shared this before, telling a story of a guy who's an alcoholic in their church. And the guy radically comes to Christ. Um, he wanted to change his life, and he, and he wanted to live out Ephesians, not being drunk with wine, but being filled by the Holy Spirit. And so God was changing him. And as God was changing his life, he was telling a friend about it. And he said, hey, man, this is changing me. Jesus has changed my life. And his friend's like, hey, man, I, I, I understand. You know what? I, I, I don't know what to think about all the miracle stories, like Jesus walking on water, uh, Jesus you know, turning water into to wine. Uh, you really believe that? And the guy responded back, I don't know about him turning water into wine, but I know in my house, he turned beer into furniture. That all my money had been going one way, and it was destroying my life. And now that he's gotten a hold of me, it's changed me, and it's changed my reality. And we'll have confidence to speak the gospel, too, when we're convicted that it has changed me, and it's changed my life. How's that going to happen in the midst of a pandemic? Is it going to be from the church walking the neighborhood shouting, hey, sinner, repent? Is it that? No. It'll be because people see your confident boldness in who Jesus is, a hope and a strength that is in you that is not your own. And when they ask you about it, you can say, well, it's actually changed my life. My hope is in a firm foundation, and his name is a strong tower that I can run to in the midst of anything, in the midst of any trouble. And so it's us coming to the point in our relationship with God where it's more than just a rote tradition, more than just showing up at the church and kind of half-heartedly singing some songs. It's coming to the place of you really are God and you make things straight. I thought I would always be bent inside, but you healed some things that I thought were always going to be broken. And so let me tell you something. Your confidence will come when the timing is right. Just pray the prayer every morning. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. It's something I try to make a habit of. God, open the doors today to show people your love. And when you do, give me the boldness to do it, to act it out. It's dangerous because, you know, you know why it's dangerous? Because God loves to answer that prayer. He will, he will open doors for us, and he will fill you with a strength and a boldness that's not your own. He loves to answer that prayer. I listened to an interview with Bono. Um, some of you have heard this as well. The interviewer was uh, Bono of, of U2, rock and roll uh, fame. The interviewer was asking him about Jesus, and Bono says, Jesus said he was the son of God, and I have a hard time believing that billions of lives have been touched by a guy who is nuts. And so the interviewer said, so you believe Jesus is divine? And Bono responded, yes. The interviewer said, so you believe he rose from the dead? Bono said, yes. He said, I have no problem with miracles. And then he said, I live among them. I am one. I'm convinced to talk about Jesus. Why? Because I'm convinced that he changed me. And when you understand that, you'll preach it and you'll declare it. You'll let it be known. And for some of us, the application today is, is not to get all the gospel tracts back out and start handing them out at work. It's not that. It's for you to take a deep dive into knowing the person of Jesus. Because the more you love him, the more you'll talk about him. And the more you see him change you, you'll want to talk about him with others. Confidence comes from conviction from a changed life. And so when you are walking around your neighborhood because you got to get outside of your house because you've been in it for countless hours. <laughs> when you're walking around your neighborhood, it's, it's not just an escape you know, from, from, from where you've been, but it's an opportunity for you to be Jesus to your neighborhood. 
And he told us to love our neighbors. And so you're walking around your neighborhood and you're seeing things through his eyes because the more you fall in love with him, the more you see people through his eyes. And so every time you, you have an encounter with somebody, it's, 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 it's out of the overflow of Jesus' love for them that flows through you. So let's, let's look at some other motivations. Verse 5, he says, We never came to you with words of flattery. Flattery is when you compliment somebody, but you don't really care about them. You're trying to get something for you. And he says, I wouldn't try to use you guys. It says, God is my witness, nor do we seek glory from people. The root of that word glory is the word applause. I'm not looking for you to clap for me. Whether from you or from others, though uh, we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. He said, hey, I'm a professional minister. This is what I do for my living. Technically, we should be getting paid. But you know what? I'm not even going to worry about that because I don't want money to get in the way of ministry. And if money is going to threaten ministry to you, I'm going to go without. That was Paul's perspective. And look at verse 7. This is our next motivation. But, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What's going to give you the confidence to live a life that makes a difference? What's going to give you the boldness to declare um, what you believe? Conviction about the message that these really are the words of God and then compassion for them. I really want you to know him. Compassion as a motivator. This is, this is what makes sharing the gospel so much different than just sharing our political views. Um, what, is, what, what is often the reason why we share some of our political views? What is our hope for those that are reading that are, are in opposition to the way that we see things. For many of us, when we, when we have a social issue or political issue that we're talking about out in the world or in social media, uh, what is the hope for those that disagree with us? You, you can see it in the verbs that are not there. You can even see it in the news headlines. You know, so-and-so got owned. Um, so-and-so got crushed. They got destroyed. They got canceled. It's almost like we want our opponent to be blown away. Uh, we, we want them to, to feel stupid so they can shrink and shrivel and disappear and blow off in the wind, never to be seen again. Then. Do you see that? And so what did Paul say? He said, hey, we got beat up. They caned us. And you know what? I still love you guys. I still love you. And then he picks the most gentle picture here. He says, we're like a nursing mom with a baby. Like a nursing mom with a baby. A nursing mom, when she hears her baby cry, she doesn't go, somebody want to get that? <laughs> no, she goes, that's my baby, and I'm going to get what my baby needs. I'm coming for you. And Paul says, right after he says that, like a nursing mom with a baby, I'm affectionately desirous for you. He used the word there that means longing. He says, I longed for you guys because you are beloved. So I shared with you not just the gospel, but our own souls. I don't want to see people who disagree with me destroyed. I want to see them redeemed. I don't want to see them beat down. I want to see them lifted up. I don't want to see them crushed. I want to see them healed. Do you see that? The preacher of the gospel has confidence. My message is true, but he also has compassion. I want you to know the truth because he loves you and so do I. Because when you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth, right? <laughs> there's, there's two people who will be honest with you when you look like a fool. It's the people who don't care about you. That is a dumb-looking shirt. I don't know why you're wearing that. Or the people who deeply love you. Hey, man, um, you know, I want you to know you missed a couple buttons and you don't want people seeing that. Let me help you. You know, you, you want to help them as a good friend. 
And so what's going to give you the confidence to share the gospel of God with people? It's when truth is mixed with love that it's beautiful. I'm telling you this because I care about you. And this is the best thing that I've got, and I want to give it to you. This is what motivated Jesus, by the way. It says there's a moment in, in Jesus' life where he looked at the crowds and he saw that they were being harassed and helpless. Harassment is when you know someone's bothering and they, they won't leave you alone. It's what I think about when I think about young people and social media. It's media. It's an endless assault of information and insecurity. And helpless means that I don't have the tools to protect myself. And so Jesus looked at the crowd, and his response was, anybody know? He had compassion for them. He had compassion for them, and so he taught them many things. His teaching was rooted in his compassion. I love you, so I want to share this with you. Try that. It's easier to get past your self-consciousness when you know I have the answer and I've got the conviction that it's true and I have a compassion for you. When you have that kind of life, you're going to be bold. How are you going to do that right now in the period of, of social distancing that, that we're in with a city that's on lockdown? Um, we, so, we saw it this week. Um, during our live streams, um, we've had several live streams over the past couple weeks now. Um, likes, shares, and comments have always kind of had this exponential reach on social media. And right now, I've been seeing all sorts of new people engaging in worship streams and prayer streams. Um, I have friends and family um, that have never been through the doors of our church, but have connected with us online in the last couple weeks. And I know some of you do too. We've been calling and praying and reaching out past Pastor Lyle's been doing that for us pretty much nonstop since this thing has started. There's, there's a bunch of neighboring going on right now. There's some amazing, amazing stories. You know, just coming up to how how are you, neighbor? Do you have enough toilet paper? Do you have enough toilet paper? I, I've got some that I can share. Do you need some soap? Um, how about some cheese sticks for the kids? You know, are you doing okay? Hey, if the kids need something to do, I've got an awesome children's pastor. She's got a video. Let me share it with you. And, and you know, I, I heard stories this week. I, I heard a story this week. Of a, of a girl messaging her friends from school. I won't get into the details, but she messaged them, and she said, hey, I'm sharing a bit at my church's live stream this weekend, and, and she'd, I'd like to invite you to be there. And she testified that almost every single student from her public school that she invited showed up. What a testimony, and what an easy time to share and invite someone to go to church. They don't have all that pressure of walking through the physical doors. They just need to click on a link and watch on a screen. And so you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, I'm so glad that she did. What a, what a powerful testimony. She, she was simply convinced that this message changes people, and it changed me. So I'm just going to be bold and invite them. I'm going to ask them. And she was compassionate. I love you, and I want you to know this. And I just wanted, want you to know that I'm sharing at my church. Why don't you come and watch it. And so when, when you get those two things, you're going to say it. And you might fumble and you might stutter. You might want to go back and forth a few times before you can get it out. But at the end of the day, you're going to tell them, I want you to find the life that I've found. And the last thing is the confidence that comes from the conviction that your life can change too. And he says, as we continue reading in this scripture, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his 
own kingdom in glory. I love that. We have the confidence of an ambassador. Uh, I've got a message from the king, and I'm going to share it. We have, a com- we have the compassion of a mom. You're like my baby, and, I, and I, I want what's best for you. But then he says, we have the conviction of a dad. And he uses the word, in this, in this phrase for the dad here, he uses the word exhort, meaning to call out. Um, he, I, I love it. It's perfect. I, I walked alongside you, and I called to you that you would walk. Because that's, that's what dads do. You get alongside that kid, and you're like, I want to help you walk. I want to help you move, right? When your kids are learning to ride bike, you, you, you're running up and down the street with them, holding on to the back of that seat saying, believe in yourself, right? That kind of thing. Why am I doing that? Because I believe they can actually do it. I believe they can actually write it because I am confident that they can change and I believe it's possible for them. And so I want to encourage you as we close, the last thing that's going to give you confidence to share the gospel with somebody else is to believe that God can change them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. For some of us, we're going to strain to believe that. But there is nothing that our God can't do. Man, we sang that song. There is nothing that our God can't do. And if I believe that, then I believe that God can change any story. Any story. He'll make murderers into missionaries. He'll take broken, abandoned kids and make them sound. He'll take lost things and bring them home. He'll he'll take enemies and turn them into friends. He'll, He'll change nations and countries and continents, and he'll change you. And when you believe that, I'm convinced that this message is true, and I care about you, and I believe that he can change you, then you're gonna speak. But let me tell you something before you proclaim it. You gotta believe it. You gotta believe it. It's kind of like going to Dinosaur Park. I, I love Dinosaur Park, as amazing as it is to have that in their city. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, as a kid going to Dinosaur Park, and I love taking my kids there. But not one of them, not one of them has once believed that those are real dinosaurs. I, I know hard to believe as real and lifelike as they look, but there is no fear associated with going to that park because they don't even for a minute believe that there is anything real there. But have you ever had the experience where you've gone to the zoo and visited the lion exhibit when they are roaring? I remember um, going with Kella's class in Durango when she was a kindergartner, maybe first grade. And I kid you not, there was a moment when we walked past the cage and the tiger walked up to the lion and they just started a shouting match. And I felt like the ground was shaking. I mean, it's, it's like we were witnessing some kind of spousal disagreement in the highest order. And it felt like, you know, the, the earth was shaking. And I'll never forget Kella standing next to me as tiny as she was at that time and holding onto my leg. And I remember saying, if you ever hear that noise in real life, get out of there. Get, get, on, get, you know, get out of there way fast. There's, there's no, here's the thing. There's no respect for the fake, but there is power in the real. So I'm not asking you to put on a Christian show. I'm not asking you to dress yourself up. I'm saying God needs to change you and know that when he does, you can be as bold as a lion. That's how it works. And that's exactly what the world needs right now. If you're sitting at home and thinking, what am I doing, you know, for the next however many, you know, we don't even know for how long. Let me give you some purpose. It's right here. This is, this is, you know, 
not concrete or, or fake Christians who go through the motions, but real flesh and blood believers who are staying with their lives. I actually believe this and I'm living in faith. And when we do that, that changes things. We remember Rome changed watching Christian marriages, right? Thessalonica changed. Philippi changed. Rapid City can change. South Dakota can change. I want to be a part of that. Let's pray for our neighborhoods. Let's pray for our city. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then uh, Pastor Derek is going to come up and close us. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for our time together to hear from your word and to be challenged. God, we want to be like you and love God with a confidence that is rooted in your character. Your name is a strong tower that we can run into. God, and when it feels like um, we can be locked up and um, <laughs> void of purpose when we were kind of trapped, it can feel that way right now. I pray that you would fill us with a purpose that is so much bigger than ourselves. And Lord, this will not be a time when the church would shrink down, but it would be a time when the sound of the Lion of the Judah rises up. Father God, you did not start off this year. It wasn't a mistake that you had us leaning into being a light in the darkness. That was not a mistake. God, I pray that you would light us up. Let us be the filaments that you would gl glow brightly through wherever we are, whether that be online, whether that be walking our neighborhood, whether it be you know going out into the battlefield at the grocery stores. I just pray that you would go with us. We know that you're with us. You, we, we are carriers of your glory, of your light, of your fame. Would you go with us. You go before us. God, our victory is in you. God, we thank you for that. If you have not prayed the prayer of salvation, you have never prayed to ask Jesus in your heart, I want to take that opportunity before I hand it over to Derek. Um, there's... There's a reason that you're here and you're watching this stream right now. Um, it's not by accident. Um, so I, I, just wanted, I just want you to take some time, maybe even close your eyes wherever you're at. And just know that Jesus came um, to this world to be a rescue for us. He came to be a rescue uh, for us. Um, um, when we can't save ourselves, he is our rescue. Um, he came into the darkness, and it, and it says, the scriptures said, he came um, as a bright light. And so we can grab a hold of, of him and have a firm foundation in who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if, if you're praying this prayer for the first time this morning or maybe a resurrender, coming back to um, Jesus as, as your Savior, as your Lord, let's pray this together. Father God, I give you my heart. All of my life is yours. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming for me and for giving your life. All of me, for all of you, I surrender. My life is yours. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen.